This morning, I will simply finish the sermon I began last Sunday entitled, Applying God's Wisdom uh, to My Financial Circumstances. Uh, We looked at the two extremes that a believer can be confronted in in life in terms of finances and material possessions, poverty and prosperity. And so what is God's wisdom? What is God, what, how does God instruct a believer in both of those extremes in life in a relationship to our finances and relationship to our giving and our stewardship? And it has been my habit uh, since I've been senior pastor to always bring a message or two on stewardship during the month of November. Now, if you missed the message last Sunday, uh, because I would want you to hear this, I began by commending the church family uh, for your very generous giving in 2014. Uh, Not only to the general church budget, but your very faithful giving also to the phase two of our church renovation plan, uh, your giving to Uh, some special mission offerings to love indeed, to sound choices, to benevolent and bereavement needs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. Thank you uh, that we've been able to see God's grace in our church family through some very generous, gracious, sacrificial giving. And then I simply challenge the church, let's end the year uh, well as we go uh, forward. So let's... uh, do a quick review of what we covered last week. And last week, all that we had time for was to look at God's wisdom when I'm down and out uh, financially. So I'll do a quick review of that, and then we'll look at God's instructions to us when we're uh, uh, in times of prosperity. And then we'll end up by looking at God's wisdom in, in uh, any and all financial circumstances. Last week we saw, if you're down and out, the first thing that God would want you to do would be to rejoice in your wealth in Christ. To rejoice in your wealth in Christ. We looked at James 1.9 where it says, But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. And this is in the context of addressing the issue of material possessions. So let the brother of humble circumstances, in other words, the brother who's uh, in tough times financially, let him glory in his high position. Even when I'm hit hard by economic times, I can still rejoice. And why? Because I possess spiritual riches that can never be taken away from me. I am never rich as long as I have Jesus, the bread of life. Uh, Jesus, the water of life. Uh, In our study of the book of Hebrews, we saw this truth lived out in the lives of the Hebrew Christians who literally lost all of their material possessions due to persecution. We read in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 34, when all your belongings were seized, you endured your loss gladly. Now how could they endure the loss of all things gladly, rejoicing, knowing joy? It says, because you knew that you still possess something much better, which would last forever. These believers understood. In Christ, they had found true happiness and a happiness that will last forever. And that led us to that key truth. Look on difficult financial circumstances as an opportunity to demonstrate that true joy is not found in material possessions, but in possessing Christ. And if there's any message that needs to be communicated to the United States of America, it is that one. 
because uh, I think we would all admit uh, we have become absorbed with material possessions. One of the idols of our nation is affluence, and this desire to have more and more and never to be satisfied. So we need to demonstrate as believers that true joy is not found in material possessions. It's not found in outward circumstances. It's found in Christ that lives within. And then the second thing we uh, said we need to do is follow the example of the Macedonian Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, who generously gave despite the fact that they were Uh, down and out and in great financial need. Take your Bibles, and again, just for review, let's just read these verses. And of course, this is just a brief review. If you missed the message, you need to go to the church website. You can pull up the audio message and hear the full uh, sermon, and I would encourage you to do that. Uh, But look at this marvelous example of giving, even in the midst of very difficult financial circumstances. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Uh, Let me just remind you of the background. Uh, The believers in Judea were in financial straits. There was a famine, there was a time of drought, there was terrible need in the providence of Judea. As Paul was ministering to the Gentile churches, he began to take an offering from these Gentile churches to support their brothers and sisters, their their Jewish brothers and sisters who had come to know Christ in Judea. And this was one of the means that God used to unite the Jewish and the Gentile churches in the early uh, church. And, uh, and when he came to the uh, churches in Macedonia, uh, they were struggling. I shared with you uh, last uh, week their circumstances related to persecution and how they were being blackballed and not being able to find work and employment, which plunged them into the depths of poverty, into the depths of destitution. And so when Paul came to them, he did not even think uh, about presenting them with this need of participation in the offering. Well, they caught wind of it, and then there's this amazing account, this amazing testimony, how they go to Paul, and they literally beg Paul for an opportunity to participate in the offering. In other words, folks that you would think would be begging for help themselves, and even if, if they were extended the opportunity to get involved in this offering. You would think they would have to excuse themselves because of their present circumstances, and everyone would understand. No, instead, they they beg, give us the opportunity. And you see here that they gave beyond their ability. They gave what they could not afford. They gave sacrificially. They gave to their brothers and sisters in Judea what they needed themselves. And then that verse 2 is just absolutely remarkable, where you see... Uh, affliction coupled with joy, and poverty coupled with liberality. And the only way to explain that is Jesus who was living within them. 
that they desired to follow their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, what, became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. And they said, if he sacrifices all for us, how can we not sacrifice our all for him and the body that he gave himself, the bride that he gave himself uh, for? And so we, we saw three lessons that we uh, learned uh, from these folks. Number one, give despite your circumstances. Lord, here's God's wisdom if you're experiencing a time where you're just down and out financially. God says, give despite your circumstances. You know, it's don't develop that mentality. You know, if I only had more, I would give to the cause of Christ. This passage totally challenges that type of thinking. Because they, did ha- they were in poverty, yet they gave beyond their ability, gave sacrificially. Let the wealth of your generosity disguise the depths of your poverty, in so doing, demonstrate Christ's grace at work in your life. Not only give despite your circumstances, we see here give enthusiastically. Give enthusiastically. Let the spontaneity of your giving preclude the need to be asked. In other words, they didn't give out of a sense of duty. They didn't give out of a sense of legalism to gain points with God or to gain God's approval. They gave out of pure delight. They gave first and foremost to express their love to the Lord Jesus Christ and then to make an investment in His work. And so they gave enthusiastically. They didn't have to be asked. They looked for the opportunity. And then the third truth that we saw last week, give knowing that you cannot outgive God. Give knowing you cannot outgive God. Let the sacrifice of your gift, as we just noted, be an expression of your love for and trust in God. Verse 5 explains their giving. They first gave themselves to what? To the Lord. That was the key. They knew one day they would stand before Him to give an account of their lives. They did not want to look back with regret that they had wasted their lives. They wanted to have the assurance that they had spent their lives well in following their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They really believed their master when he spoke these words, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. In other words, they had learned that wonderful principle of sowing and reaping that we looked at last week in 2 Corinthians 9. That he who sows sparingly in terms of giving will what? Reap sparingly. But those who sow bountifully will what? Reap bountifully. Not only that your need is met, but that you can continue to give to others. And these Macedonian believers, they had come to understand that principle through their giving, that they can't, we can't outgive God. And even as we give beyond our ability and in a time of great need, God is going to meet our needs, and He'll not only meet our needs, but He'll continue to bless us so that we can continue to give to others and to the cause of Christ. Now, this morning, we want to turn our attention now to God's wisdom uh, when I am prosperous. God's wisdom when I am prosperous. And look at that very, very first truth. And beginning here, this is all new material. Remember the temporary nature of material blessings and their inability to give lasting joy. That's where we have to begin. 
In other words, if you're experiencing a time of prosperity financially, remember the temporary nature of material blessings and their inability to give lasting joy. If we go back to James chapter 1, James addresses the rich after he addressed the humble. And he says, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation. Why? Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. And this leads us to our key truth. It is not material resources that will bring me through life's trials. It is spiritual resources. It is not material resources that will bring me through life's trials. It is spiritual resources. So I begin by remembering just the temporary nature of material blessings when they do come my way, their inability to give lasting joy, that my dependence is upon God and upon God alone, and then I need to follow God's instructions to the rich in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 17 and 19, and would you please take your Bibles and turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And here we do find God's instruction to the rich, to those who are experiencing prosperity. Verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that, which is life indeed. Now, let me raise a question. How many of us this morning fall into the category of the rich? Now, of course, that's a, a, the answer is somewhat subjective, but let me just remind you of one thing. That the standard of living most of us enjoy would make us rich in the eyes of Timothy's congregation, to whom this instruction was initially directed. When the Apostle Paul refers to the rich in verse 7, he's not just talking about those who have the most expensive homes, or the most property, or the largest bank accounts. Uh, to be rich, at least this is my understanding, to be rich is to have more than the essentials of food, clothing, and shelter. In other words, in today's terminology, it means to have discretionary funds. And for most of us, we would fall into that category, where we're not seeing just our basic needs met, but we do have discretionary funds that we make a decision on how those funds will be spent, how those funds will be used and invested. So with that... Just notice a couple of instructions that we can receive from this passage. The first one, 
Never confuse self-worth with net worth. Never confuse self-worth with net worth. Uh, Christina Onassis uh, said, happiness is not based on money. And the best proof of that is our family. And that's very, very true. Look at verse uh, 17, the very first part of verse 17. It says, instruct those who are rich in this world not to be what? Conceited. Conceited. The word conceited in this context refers to exalting oneself and looking down in contempt on those who would be lower on the economic ladder. Now, these next verses are not in your notes, but just listen uh, to these verses out of Deuteronomy 8. And I'm, I'm reading them from the paraphrase, the message. It says, make sure that when you eat and are satisfied, when you build pleasant houses and settle in, And watch your standard of living go up and up. Make sure you don't become so full of yourself and your things that you forget God. You're God. If you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this. And all by myself, I'm rich and it's all mine. Well, think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all this wealth. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God has not given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great? And as though you have accomplished something on your own. So who gives the strength to produce wealth? God. And He does so... Not to give you an ego trip, but to put you in a position to support the cause of Christ and to serve the needs of others. Do not use money. Here's the truth. Do not use money to build self-worth. No, use your money to display Christ's worth. The question you must always ask yourself is, what does my giving say about the value I place on my relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at your giving to the cause of Christ as an opportunity to simply express the love you feel in your heart for who Jesus is and what He accomplished for you through His death, burial, and resurrection. Look at the next truth. Never confuse money in the bank with security in life. Never confuse money in the bank with security in life. Look at the uh, latter part of verse 17. It says, not only uh, don't be conceited, but also you're not to fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Uh, Listen to God's advice in Proverbs 11.28. Trust in your money. And down you go. Trust in God and flourish like a tree. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. And again from the paraphrase, the message. I love the way it puts it. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the wild blue yonder. And we've all had that experience, haven't we, at different points in our life. 
Ecclesiastes 5, 10, and 11. He who loves money shall never have enough. The foolishness of thinking that wealth brings happiness. The more you have, the more you spend. Right up to the limits of your income. So what is the advantage of wealth except perhaps to watch it all run through your fingers? Listen, beloved. If you haven't figured this out, let me just give you a a fact of life. Seeking security in a fallen, evil world is an illusion. Seeking security in a fallen, evil world is an illusion. And even as believers, we are not immune from injustice, from wrong, from adversity, from being stripped of all that we own, possess, and have. So, bottom line, here's your choice. You can waste your life chasing after the illusion of financial security, or you can spend your life, what? Supporting the cause of Christ and make your money count for something in eternity. You, you need to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, and he made this comment in Acts 20, verse 24, and I, I, I pray all of us would be captured with this particular attitude and perspective in life. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. In order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. On another occasion, Paul said, For to me to live is what? Christ. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, how would you fill in the blank? For me to live is... I mean, think about that just a moment. Just pause. It's an important time. Other people... Other people viewing your life, your, your family viewing your life, your children, your grandchildren, or your neighbors, or your co-workers, when they view you, how would they feel in that life? You know, when I look at old, old Andy, for, for Andy to live is, I mean, would they say Christ? Would that be obvious? Or would they just view me as just another person that's in the rat race of life, chasing after Whatever I can get, as much as I can get, as quick as I can get it, to, to, to spend as much of it as I can on myself and on what, what I want. Now, how do you live for Christ in the area of your finances? Well, again, the answer is found in our passage in these remaining truths. And look at the next one. Here's how you live for Christ in the area of finances. Invest your resources to impact the world for Christ and receive eternal rewards. Invest your resources to impact the world for Christ and receive eternal rewards. Look at verse 18, the very first phrase, and then look at verse 19. It says, instruct them to do good. And then go down to verse 19. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. The words do good are the translation of a Greek word that, that simply means to do what is qualitatively good. In other words, to act for someone else's advantage. In other words, the application would be this. When, when, the, uh, many, when the many appeals come your way uh, 
to contribute uh, to something. Uh, you're to be careful that you use your resources that would be to the advantage of Christ and the advancement of His kingdom. In other words, invest your resources where they will do the most good, and from an eternal perspective, that would be to advance the cause of Christ. And then storing up in verse 19, this is a beautiful truth, could be translated amassing a treasure, and the word translated foundation refers to a trust fund. So just as we saw last week, and we talked about this last week, that when you give to the cause of Christ, God tells you it's an investment that you're making. It's an investment that's going to bring you eternal dividends. So God is saying here to those who are prosperous, He says, you're to do good. Use your money for the advantage of Jesus Christ to advance His kingdom. And I give you a guarantee, as you do that, you are amassing for yourself a heavenly treasure. You are storing up for yourselves a heavenly trust fund that will be your reward throughout all eternity. Look at the second truth. Become known more for what you give than what you possess. This is God's instruction to those who are prosperous. Become known more for what you give than what you possess. Look at that second phrase in verse uh, 18. To be rich in what? In good works. You're to be rich in good works. The word rich in the Greek text literally means abundantly furnished. To abundantly furnish something. So here the application is this. When you get in a position to abundantly furnish your life, your home, because of God's material blessing on your life, do not neglect to abundantly furnish the household of God. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying you cannot enjoy a beautiful home. You can. I'm not saying you cannot have nice things. You can. I'm not saying you cannot enjoy a wonderful vacation. You can. We read in verse 17 that God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So there, there's a balance here, but that's my point. There is a balance. It's wrong, it's wrong when I become so busy trying to increase my standard of living that I lower my standard of giving. That's wrong. I need to see that God has blessed me to be a blessing to the cause of Christ, to be a blessing to others. It's wrong when our giving is so low while our debts are high because our wealth is being used for things that will mean nothing in light of eternity. Listen to Haggai chapter 1, verse 9. Just listen to this. You hope for so much, but you get so little. And when you bring it home, I blow it away. It doesn't last at all. Why? Because my temple lies in ruins and you don't care. Your only concern is your own fine homes. 
Again, nothing wrong with a fine home. But something's terribly wrong when you're totally absorbed there and you totally lose sight of Jesus Christ. Totally lose sight of investing your wealth, your resources to advance His kingdom. And when you do put God's work as your number one priority, what is God's promise to you? We looked at this last week, but it's good to repeat now. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Listen, God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more. So that there will be not so that there will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. Isn't that a wonderful truth? God is able. God is able. When you make Him number one, seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. So yes, there is a balance. So God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more. So that there will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. Again, that principle of sowing and reaping. We sow bountifully to reap bountifully, not only to see our needs met, but to be in a position to continue to give to the needs of others. Look at the next truth. Give sacrificially, not merely out of surplus funds. Give sacrificially, not merely out of surplus funds. Look at the next phrase in verse 18. It says, you're to be generous. You're to be generous. The word generous means to be liberal or bountiful. The King James reads ready. And I love the way the King James reads. It says ready to distribute. In other words, instead of stockpiling your wealth, hoarding your wealth, to just spend on, on your desires, be a distribution center for God. You know, go back to that truth we said with the Macedonians. You can't outgive God. So see that God is blessing you to turn around and be a blessing to others. And He just wants that to be an unending circle. Where as you sow, you'll continue to reap. So they can continue to sow more. See, God has blessed you to be a blessing to others. That's what we need to see. see. The greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility, in other words. You are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus when prosperous. And what was Jesus' example? We already stated it earlier. He who is rich became what? Poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, King David said, I will not offer burnt offerings to my Lord my God, which cost me nothing. See, it's very easy when I'm prosperous, when I'm in a time of financial plenty, to simply give out of my surplus and not to give sacrificially where it costs me something, where it's a step of faith as I put my trust in God. Look at the next truth. Become personally involved in the work of Christ. Become personally involved in the work of Christ. And this is a very, very important truth here. Uh, the latter phrase in uh, verse 18, be ready to share, ready to share. Uh, that phrase derives from the common New Testament word for fellowship. So, in other words, when you give to the cause of Christ, 
when you give to the cause of Christ, it's not to be done in a cold, detached manner. God desires that you become personally involved with your gift. He wants you to become an active participant in the life of the church. Just not be content to send your check in, to send your money in. No, He wants all of you involved and engaged in His work. See, what God wants more than anything else is not your money. He doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Job you know, it makes mention in Job, you know, God says, you know, if I were in need or anything, I wouldn't tell you because the whole kit and caboodle is mine. So he doesn't, need, he, he doesn't want your money, but what does he want? He wants your heart. And what we need to understand, how we use our money reflects who or what possesses our hearts, right? If Jesus Christ is the treasure of your heart, if that truly is the treasure of your heart, if He truly is your first love, greatest passion and pursuit, that's going to be reflected in your giving. It's going to be reflected in your giving to the work of Christ to advance His kingdom. So, let's just recap God's instructions to the rich. Invest your resources to impact the world for Christ and receive eternal rewards. Become become known more for what you give than what you possess. Give sacrificially, not merely out of your surplus funds, and become personally involved in the work of Christ. Now, as we close, and I'll run through these quickly, look at God's wisdom in all circumstances. God's wisdom in all circumstances. Number one, earn an honest living. The principle of work. The principle of work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, settle down and get to work. Earn your own living. And in the same chapter it says, If a man will not work, don't let him what? Eat. And now that doesn't mean those who are incapable of working. No, he's talking about if, if you're able to work, you should work. And if you don't work, you don't need to be supported. So there's the biblical principle of earning an honest living. The principle of work. Look at the second uh, principle. Plan my spending. Plan my spending, the principle of budgeting. I'm to plan my spending, the principle of budgeting. Proverbs 21, look at those verses there. Plan carefully, and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Now, have you ever said, I just don't know where my money goes? Have you ever said that? Now, true confessions, I've said that, so I'm not pointing the finger. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I've been right here. You know, I, I don't, where, where'd my money go? Well, folks, when I say that, when you say that, that should be a great big red warning light that says you are violate, violating God's principle of budgeting. Now, now, listen, beloved, just for a moment. Can't go into detail here, but financial freedom... Financial freedom in life is not determined by how much you make. It's determined by how much you spend. Reality is, if you do not have a plan, your yearning will exceed your earnings, and you're going to end up in debt. You need to plan your spending by making a budget which is nothing more than simply determining where you want your money to go 
rather than wondering where it went. <laughs> and folks, there are a lot of wonderful tools here. And we would be glad to, if you would come to the staff, myself, uh, James Wilson, our administrator, there's Crown Financial Ministries, the Ramsey Group, all sorts of tools out there. And that we even have here at the church, workbooks and sheets that we can assist you. And we would be glad to do that, to, to sit down with you and to show you how to budget your money. So again, this is a very important biblical principle, and there are a lot of tools out there to help you, and we're willing to make ourselves available to assist you in that area, and I pray you'll take us up on that offer. Look at the third truth, save for the future, the principle of investing. Save for the future, the principle of investing. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise man saves for the future. I love Proverbs 6. It says, Go study the little ants. Go study the little ants. They store up food in the summer, so when winter comes, they'll be well taken care of. And, and the reason we don't do that is because why? We want everything right now. Right now. And even if it's just a little bit, just get in the habit just get in the habit of just, just, if it's just a few dollars a week or a month, whatever it is, just get in the habit of, of, of saving uh, so that you can, uh, whether it be to invest in the cause of Christ or, or have that money in a time of emergency, but it's important to save for the future. Look at the fourth truth, enjoy what I have. Enjoy what you have. And this is the principle of contentment. Reality... There'll probably be times when you're down and out financially. There'll be times when you're doing well financially, and you could be on a roller coaster throughout your life there. But learn to be content. Hebrews 13, 5, be content in what you have. And listen to Philippians 4, verses 11 and 13. What wise advice from the Apostle Paul. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and also going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notice that last verse. We so often quote that, don't we? And we just sort of yank that out of context. But in its context, Paul is saying, it's Christ who lives within me that gives me the grace to be content in any and every circumstance. It's His grace that gives me the wisdom to know how to handle adversity and poverty. And it's also His grace that instructs me in times of prosperity and abundance. Look at the next, next one, the final one. Give sacrificially to God. We've hit on this uh, in uh, last week's message as well as uh, today already. And this, of course, is the principle of giving. God wants to bring every believer to the place where we practice sacrificial giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a, what, cheerful giver. God wants us to learn to give again, not out of duty, but out of delight. Not out of a sense of legalistic regulation or rules, 
but because of who Jesus is, what He did for me as an expression of my love for Him. And, and I do believe a good place to begin is with the tithe, giving 10% of your income. Now, we've never taught this here at Edgewood as a legalistic duty, but I think it's a wonderful place for every believer to begin. But don't stop there. We want to grow beyond that. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring to my storehouse a full tenth of what you earn. Test me in this, says the Lord, and I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings that you need. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord by giving Him the first part of all your income, and He will fill your barns to overflow. So why, why would you give the tithe? Why would you give it all? First, gratitude. Your giving first and foremost should be an expression of your love for Jesus, for the love you feel in your heart, for who He is, what He did for you through His death, burial, and resurrection. And you're, and you're giving the tithe, and any giving is a statement of priority. In other words, as we've stated, your giving reveals what you value most. And there's nothing that will tell, tell you how much you value Jesus than looking at how you spend and invest your money. And then it's a statement of faith. It's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting God. I re- I'm really going to believe what God says that I can't outgive Him. That if I do obey Him in this, if I do sow bountifully, that I'll reap bountifully. I'll not only see my needs met, but have the ability to minister to the needs of others. But again, God wants us to go beyond the tithe into sacrificial giving. And He wants us to do this to teach us the heart of Jesus. And then look at those three descriptions of sacrificial giving. Number one, sacrificial giving is an act of worship which reveals the worth I place in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And we've all already said much about that. Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Second thing about sacrificial giving, it is an investment. We've mentioned this the last two weeks. It is an investment which yields eternal dividends. The amount of my return is not determined by the size of my gift, but by the depth of its sacrifice. Now, folks, let me tell you why that is so important. Throughout this congregation, there are people that are different places economically. We have people sitting here that have significant means. We have others that are just struggling to make ends meet. And you're wondering if you're even able, going to be able to do that. And we have people in between. They're all over the spectrum. But see, this principle puts every believer on equal footing with God. Because the reward that you'll receive the eternal dividend that you will receive has nothing to do with the size of the gift. It's determined by the depth of the sacrifice. And this is seen in no better place than the widow. Remember her? Through her little two, remember the Jesus and his disciples, they're sitting at the uh, temple treasure. And they're seeing all these rich people literally bring barrel loads of money and throw them into the coffers of the temple. You know, the disciples are going, wow, you know, they'd never seen that much money their entire lives. As was being. And then this little widow comes in. She throws in these two little mites. And then Jesus, all of a sudden now, Jesus gets excited. And he says, hey, guys, did you just see that? And they're looking at him, yeah. And then he made this statement. Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors in the treasury. 
For, now, why would he say that? Because they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, she put in all she owned, all she had to live on. And we talked about this last week. You know, people look at that and they say, that's stupid, that's reckless. That, 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 why would anybody do that? Well, when you look at God's principles, it's not so foolish, it's not so reckless. Maybe she knew exactly what she was doing and she was believing God's word. That she can't outgive God. See, there are no U-Hauls that are behind hearses. There aren't. There are no U-Hauls behind funeral hearses. You're not going to take any of it with you. That's just a reality. But you do have the opportunity right now to use your resources to build for yourself a treasure in heaven. Again, that treasure determined not on the size of the gift, but the depth of the sacrifice. And then look at the last truth. Sacrificial giving is a spiritual barometer which determines if God can entrust me with spiritual resources. Sacrificial giving is a spiritual barometer which determines if God can entrust me with spiritual resources. Look at Luke 16, verse 11. This is what Jesus said. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? So one of the means that God uses to evaluate where we are with Him is by the way that we spend our money, by the way that we invest our money. And God, and Jesus said, if I can't trust you with worldly material possessions, how could I ever trust you with true spiritual resources? So there is a correlation here. So I I hope the last two weeks uh, this instruction has been helpful to you. Whether you find yourself in poverty or whether you find yourself in prosperity or somewhere in between, And I pray that God would give us the grace, and it is only through His grace, uh, that all these principles would come alive in our hearts, and that He would give us the uh, courage uh, to take that step of faith. And it is a step of faith, and I know many times it can be scary uh, to invest, uh, to give, uh, trusting that as we do, that He will not only be true to His Word to meet our needs, Uh, but He'll also give us an abundance to continue to bless others. Father, uh, thank You for Your truth uh, the last uh, two Sundays as we've looked at Your wisdom, Your instructions that You give to those who are both in poverty and prosperity. And now, Lord, just give us the grace to obey. And again, Lord, not out of a sense of duty or obligation. Lord, I, uh, I don't want anyone in this church family ever whether it be their tithe or a special offering, to ever feel uh, unduly pressured. Uh, Lord, I want them to give out of delight. I want them to give because they love you. I want them to give because they see it as an investment that will bring them back a return, not only now but throughout all eternity. So, Father, uh, let us know your grace at work in us that you would pour out on us a spirit of grace-giving that would... Uh, display the value that we place on Jesus here in this church family and that would uh, advance your kingdom throughout the world. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.